Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Welcome to do that as well. The rest of us, let's go ahead and continue our series through Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is where we are this morning. There is no doubt when I just read that passage that you realize that you probably have a passage of Ecclesiastes memorized. Some of you were already humming the tomb, I know, in your head, the famous song from 1965 that uh, reached international fame, written by Peter Seeger and made famous by the birds, as I first heard it on the wonderful Forrest Gump soundtrack. Turn, turn, turn. You remember that? Who, Who was alive during that? Amen. Praise God. And so you remember perhaps when that song came out, for everything there is a season, turn, turn, turn. But my favorite thing about that song is that uh, Peter Seeger, I don't even know if he's still alive, but this dude made some bank by copying and pasting, right? He added one word, the word turn, and interjected it throughout Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and became internationally famous for that song. How awesome is that? Well, he added a line at the end as well, because when Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 through 8, that's the verse that he copied and pasted and made into a very popular pop song in 1965, he added one more line besides that one word turn repeated throughout the song. He added the little line at the end, as it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, a time for war, a time to peace, of peace. And as you can imagine, in the 1960s, people were crying out for peace, and so the song simply ends, I swear it's not too late. Song over, millions, however many dollars he made by copying and pasting Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. Here's, here, here's why I bring all of this up, because when someone gets to the end of that passage, particularly in verse 8, if we don't read any farther, it kind of leaves us wondering, where is, where is the hope? And he expressed during that time in world history, and perhaps even now, that there is a desire for world peace. And if we could just get this under the sun, as we've been talking about in Ecclesiastes, if we could find some sort of world peace, world harmony in this life under the sun, then perhaps we would be satisfied. And yes, I would love to see world peace under the sun. But as history has shown, the entire history has shown since the Garden of Eden that there has been conflict in families and in nations throughout the world, that world peace is very difficult to come by, and I'm not sure that we'll ever see that. And so it leaves us with this question of of where will I find satisfaction? It's really the question throughout all of Ecclesiastes, as we live this life of toil, as we live this life of difficulty under the sun, where will we find satisfaction? Now the writer Solomon, the preacher as he calls himself in Ecclesiastes, is after this idea of time, time that ebbs and flows as he mentioned throughout this first eight verses throughout the course of our lives. And that's the first thing I want us to consider together this morning is is the essence of time. Do you see what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1? He says this, for everything For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun. And so he he starts to give us this clue of hope. He starts to give us this clue of hope that there is a season for everything, 
under heaven. So, so far he's been saying under the sun. So, so perhaps there is hope. Perhaps there is a hope that we have this sovereign God who looks down as it were from heaven and is sovereign over all things and has a reason and has a purpose for everything under the sun. But as it is, as we live this time under the sun, we see the essence of time that, one, seasons come and go. That all of these seasons come and go. And he mentions 14 of them. There's 14 pairs of different things that come and go. Born, to die, to plant, to pluck up, a time to kill, a time to heal. And he goes on, and what the writer is after here is what biblical writers use. It's called a, a mirrorism, where it's two sides of an extreme. Like for, for example, in Genesis chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's a mirrorism, two, two polar opposite things, heaven and earth. And what it's saying is that God created everything. Everything in between, everything you see in the heavens, everything on the, God created everything. And so as the preacher goes through all these mirrorisms, time to be born, a time to die, two opposites of an extreme, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to gather, a time to scatter, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time for war, a time for peace, a time for love, or time for hate. He's saying as these seasons ebb and flow, that there is a purpose for everything and everything in between. There is nothing in all of these seasons of life that are coming and going that don't, don't have some sort of purpose. And so we see what this preacher is telling us is that seasons come and go from one extreme to the next. And, and you know that. You don't have to read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 through 8 to know that seasons in our life seem to, seem to be very elusive. And they seem to come and go in and out. You just don't seem to know when they will stop or when they will come. And time continues to march on. You know this, that there are moments as you go through all of these things, these mirrorisms of seasons, there are moments in your life that you want to stop because they're so good, but they just go too quick. Isn't it always like that? It seems like all of the good stuff seems to go really quickly, and life seems to pass you very quickly. And there's other moments you want to be done with, and they seem to linger beyond their welcome. Have you experienced that before? Like, I, I'm ready for my kids to be able to, like, clean their room. And, like, to, to not... <laughs> my, my bad, dude. Um, <laughs> and, and to not step on toys. I, like, I'm ready for that. People promise me I'm going to miss this season, and I probably will. But, but, but there's some things of, of, of our life, and whether it's something silly like that or something more serious, it seems to be that some of these more difficult seasons as they come and go, point number two about the essence of time, that it just seems to march on, that times that you want to go slowly seem to go quickly, times that you would wish would see them wait, you know, that the door would hit them on the way out, just won't leave the house. They stay beyond their welcome. You feel that, don't you? Sometimes time feels like a taskmaster. It's constant as it marches on. It's constantly demanding, and it's never enough. You never have enough time. In other moments, you wish you would stand still. 
We also see something from Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. Not only are our lives made up of one season to the next and time seems to march on, but here's another truth that, that you know, I kind of glean from going to Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8 as he marches through all these things, as time marches on. This reality that all of our lives, this is a truth I've, I've really been kind of laying on this week, are made up of all these moments right? They're made up of all of these little, little individual pieces. It's almost like it's a, it's a Lego set. You ever, your kids ever get into Legos and there's 10 million Legos and there's these little ones and big ones. And I end up throwing like half of them away because I step on them and realize we're never going to need this. And so they end up in the trash can. But, but there are moments in our lives, these little moments day by day and these big moments as you go through all of these seasons. And all of this is making up the reality of what God has called you to. Our lives are made up of these seasons, of these moments, of these people in and out of our lives, of events, of circumstances, of times and places all come in and out of our lives at various times. And all of these things are writing an individual story and are a part of a bigger story, as he's going to go on to tell us, that we really have trouble seeing. We begin to realize as we go through each of these moments in our life that we really have little control, in fact, no control, of when these seasons will come and go. They just seem to come upon us, and that's, that's what the preacher is saying. It's just coming left and right, good and bad and struggles, and you just can't seem to stop it or make it stop or make it happen. It's a very frustrating existence. And here's what I want you to see in this essence of time, that, that if we stop in verse 8 like the birds did, and just interject this is our hope, a hope for peace, and kind of interject our own hope for what will bring some sort of satisfaction and a resolution to this frustration of, of time of our existence that we live in, then we're going to find it very difficult to, in fact, impossible to find any satisfaction. Yes, it's very poetic, and there's some sort of comfort that comes from this poetry of a time to kill, a time to heal. And adding poetry and this art and this beauty to the essence of time certainly brings us some sort of comfort. But it just seems like if that's all there is, we live in some sort of this even Stevens reality. That things come and go and you kind of end up back to zero, Right? There's 14 positives here and 14 negatives. 14 minus 14. Math people is zero. So it all ends up, it just kind of works out and then, then you're gone. Maybe if we get peace, maybe if we get that, maybe if this happens in my life. And, and here's the deal. Personally speaking, if I stop at verse 8 and just see the poetry of time marching on, I don't feel comforted. I feel like an unmoored ship at the mercy of the sea, hoping that the good seasons will outweigh the bad. Praying that that becomes the reality of my life. Not certain, but I'm basing my hope for that. And I feel like an unmoored ship being tossed to and fro by the ebbs and flows of life. And if we stop in verse 8... That's all we have. In fact, Solomon kind of gives us this sucker punch in verse 9. Look at your Bibles. So that's kind of the essence of time. 
And then look at Ecclesiastes 3, chapter, nine, I mean, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? So he brings this up to us again. What is there to gain? I told you before, 14 positives, 14 negatives. 14 minus 14 is zero. There is no gain. This is not a financial thing that he's talking about. Certainly you can get financial gain and pass money from one generation to the next and pass things down from one generation to the next, these physical things. But he's not talking about money. He's talking about purpose. What eternally matters? He's talking about things that matter. What is there to gain if we just survive this poetic ebb and flow of our life and all we do is at the end of the day die like the beast of the field? What gain is there? The frustration still remains. Jump down to verse 18. He goes after this again in verse 18 as he kind of further explains what's going on here. Look at your Bibles in 3.18. He said, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them. So, so what gain is there? Well, well, God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Now, now, the Bible is not saying that man is not created in his image and we're just like the animals. That's, that's not the point. The point he's making here is that we all physically in our bodies return to dust. If that's all there is... We return to the dust. Verse 19. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same as one dies, so the other dies. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust they shall return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there's nothing better that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot what can bring him to see what will be after him. So he punches us with this gut punch. Yes, this is poetic. There is this beauty to the ebb and flow of life. But at the end of the day, he's still struggling with the question, what gain is there? I don't know about you, but since preaching through Ecclesiastes 1, it's ministered, I'm not saying I minister to myself greatly, the Word of God has ministered to me greatly, and it's given over to a lot of conversations. Even on our way home from dinner on Friday night, someone was kind enough to invite us out to a very nice dinner. And I realized that after that, even on the way home, it's like, even though the food was fantastic, it was fabulous, some of the best stuff you'd ever eat in your life, you realize, I'm going to be hungry again. Like, this doesn't last. And, and so, what, per, so, so what, what did I gain except another meal? And so even as we go through these ebbs and flows of life and have these moments, a time to embrace and a time to enjoy, we said, thank God for taste buds so that we can enjoy the moments of the here and now and not miss out on that and have some sort of satisfaction. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that gives me hope for resurrection and restoration, right? That one day everything is going to be all right. That God has given us little glimpses of glory throughout even things like the food that we eat. Here's the point. Our lives are made up. I'm repeating what I've said just to sum up before we press forward. Our lives are made up of seasons that are marching on from one to the next. And all of these pieces are making up a greater story. But the frustration for us under the sun is that we can't see it all. We don't have the blueprints. We don't know what tomorrow holds for us. I don't know what the next hour holds for me. I don't know what the next 10 seconds, I hope I'm still preaching in the next 10 seconds. But, but truth, honest to goodness, I have no idea what, what tomorrow holds. And the Bible's clear about that, right? 
that we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what God is writing particularly with our lives. And we don't know all of his eternal purposes. We have a very difficult time seeing it. It's very frustrating. And so what Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is, it gives us all this essence of time, this flow of time. It's trying to refocus us and say, where do we find meaning and purpose? In all of this toil, in all of the struggle, in all of the moments that will not go away, in all of the moments that just seem too fast, where do we find meaning and purpose? Verse 11 is a key verse. Verse 11 is a key verse. Let's keep reading. I have seen that the business that God, this is verse 10, has given to the children of man to be busy with. Verse 11. He has made. Here's the comfort. Let me just stop here. Here's the next point. What is the comfort in life living under the sun? Verse 11. In time that's marching on, all the ebbs and flows, what's going to moor the ship and keep us steady in all of this? Verse 11, this is key. Underline it in Ecclesiastes. You need to see this. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So so, so do you see, what's our comfort? The comfort that the preacher is coming up with is that he has made it. God, our, our sovereign God who has made heaven and earth. The one, as we said last week, who has, because sin entered the world, has subjected all things to futility, yet he has done it in hope. So we take hope knowing that God is writing a story. That God is working all things together for good. I don't see it, but we trust him that he is making everything. Do you see it? He is making it. He rules. So, so, so get this, get this. He rules and ordains your moments and your days. The good ones, the bad ones, the frustrating ones, God is in control. What will comfort a weary soul that God is in control? And what's more, do you you see the second part of that? That he has made everything beautiful. Now I'm going to say something else about this again because there's no doubt that I've walked through things in my life, you've walked through things in your life, and it's like, dude, that is not beautiful. That's painful. What Ecclesiastes, what the preacher is telling us, what the Spirit is telling us in this word, is that what, what beautiful means is that he has made everything fitting. There's nothing beyond his control in all things that are happening, whether good or bad, that God is in control of the mountaintops and God is in control in the valleys. That there's nothing happening outside of his perfect will. That he is making everything beautiful and he is making everything fitting in his time. In his time. That's hard to wait on, isn't it? He is making it. He's in control. It's beautiful. It's fitting. It's going after a particular plan that he has written. He is the Alpha Omega. He's written the beginning before the, the end before the beginning, the Bible says. He's in control and God has a plan. It's all in his 
time. That's good news. That whatever we may be going through, that God is doing something with the time. He is redeeming time. Look at verse 14. And I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. He's doing eternal things in his time that are beautiful and fitting according to his plan. Do you see that in verse 14? I perceive that whatever God does endures forever and nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. So, so this puts us at a place of submission, and that's a good place to be, brothers and sisters. Submitting to what God is doing in our lives. Every moment, every day, every interaction, God has done it so that the people fear before him. That, verse 15, that which already has been, that which is already will be, already has been, and God seeks what has been driven Away. That leaves you with the question. I said I'd return here in a minute. Everything? Everything fitting in his time? Everything beautiful? Even the things that hurt? Here's the hope. Here's the hope. Keep looking. Look at verse 16. Every single thing. Listen to this. Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Look at verse 17. And I said in my heart, O weary soul, hear this. O troubled soul, hear this. God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and every work. Here's what he is saying. Injustices that have been done to you, that every single thing that happens will have its day in court. There is no injustice that has happened to you that God will not deal with. And that God will not make right. For everything is fitting in his time. And by the way, we have this eternal perspective that we're looking for that day. And we know on that day that justice will roll down once and for all. So every wrong that has been done will be made right. As one pastor said, everything that is sad will become untrue. And we cling to that hope. Because the one who has declared it will do it, and he will make it right. And so when we don't see how the pieces fit, even when we get this odd piece in the jigsaw puzzle that God has given to us, and it doesn't seem to fit, and if we were up to it, we said this should not be, God says, I will make it right. Even the pain of loss, God says, I will make it right. In fact, not only will justice roll down, but we are promised in Revelation that God himself will wipe away every tear from every eye. All the pain that you've walked through because of sickness, because of mourning, because being let down, whatever you have walked through, God will wipe it away for he's redeeming the time And he will make everything right. Is that good news? Someone please say amen. 
What is going to moor our souls as we walk through life? That everything has its day in court and God has put eternity on our hearts. That's the struggle. We know that this is not all it, but we just can't see what God is doing. So we struggle. We long to understand. And like a child who doesn't understand what their parents are doing or what their parents are asking, we tend to throw fits and we tend to pout and get pouty when we we don't see what God is doing. God has given us this pain and the struggle. But he's also given us Christ, hasn't he? One of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born on the woman to save us. The fullness of time. What is all, what is all this driving to? That Jesus Christ was coming and brothers and sisters, Christ has come. What is all of our lives driving to now? That Christ will return and he will make everything right. That's where time is going. And so when we understand that, that all of eternity is driving towards an end, that all of creation is going to the day when God will make everything right, when he is redeeming all things, that's what we more, that's what uh, Romans chapter eight, that's what we groan for. And he has redeemed us. He is making us right. And one day he'll make everything right. Sin will be no more. Death will be no more. Sorrow no more. Pain no more. Sickness no more. Sin no more. Nothing anymore. Only Christ and all of his goodness once and forever. When we realize that our lives are driving to that end, we get verse 12. I perceive that there was nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is the gift of God to man. And so we realize in this comfort of what all God is doing that we have this great comfort. We have this great joy. And we can finally enjoy things here on this earth. So let me challenge you with a few things. Let me challenge you with, pay attention just for a few more minutes. Let me challenge you with a few things. Number one. Fear God. Look at verse 14. What's the answer? How do we process all this? Verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people should fear him. How do we go forward? Let me challenge you to fear God. The beginning of wisdom begins with the fear of God. If we are to walk wise lives that dwell securely, that are ease and do not dread disaster, as it says in Proverbs, that we need to be people who fear God. We realize that we are creatures created by a sovereign God, so we submit to him. This means, number two, that we trust God. We wait on his timing. We trust him in his timing. We know that God is good so that we will trust him. One of my greatest comforts in this life, you've heard me say it before, and I'll repeat myself and say it again. When I go through pain or difficulty, here, here, here's the truth. I know what the answer is not. It's not that God doesn't love us because he's proven that on the cross. Even if I can't see exactly what he's doing, I trust him. He's proven to me on the cross that he will not leave or forsake me. And even if he, he has to come after me, he'll pursue me even to the point of death. And he rose again victoriously to seal the deal. I can trust him. Fear God. Trust him. Be satisfied in God. 
That our satisfaction in every moment when we fear him and we trust him, our satisfaction will be that God is with us. Our satisfaction will not come from the moment itself. Our satisfaction, as Solomon says, as the preacher says here, will come from the realization that God has ordained this moment. Yes, this, this satisfaction may come through tears. The satisfaction may come through difficulty. This satisfaction may come in a valley of the shadow of death that even through this pain, I trust that he is with me. I'm not saying it's easy, but our satisfaction comes from God himself. So let me challenge you with that. Fourth thing, let me challenge you to have an eternal perspective. That's the struggle of the preacher here, that he can't see it all. Admit that you can't see it all, so I have to fear him, trust him, be satisfied him. I can't see everything he's doing in my life, but I'm going to trust my days every single day for his glory. I know time is eternal, and I'll be living for that day. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you a couple final questions to close this out. Are you willing to put your time in God's hands? Are you you willing to live in light of that time, that day when you will meet Jesus face to face? What is the Lord assigning you with right now? What moments has he assigned in your life? There's probably some you would rather not have. There's some that you wish there were more of. Whether you're on the mountain, in the valley, are you willing to say, Lord, I don't get it. In fact, I'm even kind of frustrated about it. I know you're good. I know I can't see it. I know you're coming back. I know justice will roll down. I know tears will be wiped away by God himself. There will be no more tears, no more mourning, no more, none of that anymore. So I'm going to live for that day and pray for comfort in this hour. Will you do as what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5? He says, live for God's glory, redeeming the time. How will you redeem the time that God has given you? How will you use your relationships? How will you use your possessions here's something I've been doing. Asking myself the question. This sounds kind of silly at first, but, but what time is it? You ever said, my kids ask me that all the time. I'm learning to be like a kid with my father in heaven and say, God, God, what time is it? What time is it for this church? What time is it for my life? What time is it for me? And Father, may I number my days and say, whatever this day holds, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to fear you, trust you, give my life to you. It's like, this is what time, this is the time. Okay. I'm trusting you with it. For everything there's a season. So I trust you with it. I'm going to learn to number my days, redeem the time so that I may live for his glory so that I can live in light of that day. Will you ask God that right? God, what time is it? May I be found faithful in that day. Let's go ahead and pray. Father,